0: This time I'm going to bring out Brock O'Dell. Um, Brock is our high school student pastor. Um, how many of you have high school son or daughter? All right. Great. If you don't know this dude, this is a dude you need to start praying for by name because this guy is investing in, in our sons and daughters. And I'm grateful that my Ella has you um, as, as her student pastor. And so real quick,
1: Brock, married? Yes. How long? Nine years. And what's her name? Aurora. Aurora. And where's she from? She's from Illinois. We both are, close to Chicago. Is
0: she, isn't she from Aurora? She is. Okay, that yeah. makes the story even better. Uh, <laughs> great outlets there.
1: Um, how many kids you have? Two.
0: Two? Boys, S- girls?
1: Son, daughter. Son is six. Daughter is five, four. She's four. She's almost five. Ish. Ish. Yeah, Ish. I get Somewhere it. around there. Okay. Uh, favorite movie? Dumb and Dumber. Oh, wow. <laughs> Easy. Next. <laughs>
0: Big gulp, huh? All right. Smell you later. Um, Favorite
1: book of the Bible? Ooh, uh, probably Colossians. You have a favorite Bible character? Probably David. Okay. That's probably awesome. Uh, (laughs) Hobbies? Uh, Gosh, I don't know that I have that I have hobbies anymore. Uh, used to play guitar. Was pretty into music. Grew up playing soccer. Fantasy football. Fantasy football guy, like crazy. That's probably my biggest hobby right now. Who's
0: your go-to player?
1: This year, Cooper Cup. He's balling out. But okay. Nice. Yeah.
0: All right. So, you, so I already gave a spoiler. Your high school pastor. What, what, what does that mean in this context?
1: Yeah, Uh, man, I'm pretty new to it, but I just believe in the next generation and investing in them. We were in this room, like I was just telling Ronnie, I left here at like almost 11 p.m. last night, so I should have just slept here. Uh, But just to see the way that God is working in these students' lives is incredible. Mm -hmm. And so I love what I get to do. I feel like I get just as much out of it as as they do. Mm.
0: And I snuck in here a few weeks ago and got to hear Brock speak. And I was so encouraged. Um, you had an appropriate level of being vulnerable um, about your past, but in ways that pointed towards Jesus' redemptive power. And I was just sitting there. I was like, praise God that my daughter gets to be in here and right. witness that and a lot of others. So I want to say cool. thanks for that. Thanks, if sir. you had one man challenge, you got a room of dudes here. It's called Man Challenge. If you had <laughs> one man challenge that you knew, like, regardless of our personality types and that, that if you gave it to us— the, we would all do it no matter what or pursue it what would it be
1: uh i'm going to steal it from somebody else lucas devries i don't know if he's in here he just spoke at our fall retreat this past weekend with high school and he had this phrase that i talked to a bunch of students about last night because it's still on their minds which is god doesn't need our strength he wants our submission and i think if you could make that the call of your life to submit before god and just watch him show off that would be the greatest challenge that i could give myself and you
0: awesome Guys, let's give a Man Challenge welcome to my friend, Barack O'Dell.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm equally as excited as I am intimidated to step into this room. A couple things about me before we get started. Number one, I can be a lot. So just buckle up. I know it's early. Some of y'all are tired. You might hate me. Deal with it. Uh, number two. Um, First man challenge ever. I've been here for almost ten years. I've never been to a man challenge before. Some of it might be because I'm a little intimidated by the name. Started growing out my facial hair about a week ago. This is what I got to work with. I'm not as confident uh, in my facial hair game as I am in the word of the Lord. And I believe today that I have a word for us. That God has a word for us. Rather. But the word that we're about to talk about might seemingly be insignificant. It's one that if you've gone to church for some time, you probably heard it in Sunday school and probably haven't given it much thought since. I know that's how it was for me. And when I was given this topic, I was like, awesome. Thanks, men's ministry. This is going to be fun. And then as I dug into it, I thought, wow, thanks God. This is going to be fun. So today, uh, go ahead, turn your Bibles to Mark 10, 13 through 16. We're going to read through the scripture I'll pray for us, and then we'll kind of jump in. Mark 10, 13 through 16, here's what it says. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, and he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for life this morning. We thank you for your word this morning. And I pray a simple but profound prayer. Would you speak? And would you help us listen? Would would this morning, would today be more about your voice than my voice? Would would this morning be more about your voice than any other voice? I pray that you would pierce our hearts with what your word is trying to say to us. Would you challenge the way we're living? Because we know that your way of life is better than our way of life. So we ask for your heart and we ask for your presence. Would you lead us in Jesus' name? Everybody said Amen. So I'll we'll never forget it. Uh, six plus ish years ago, came home from work late one night, walked into the apartment back then at the edge of the bed. I saw it. Some of you guys have had this experience. There was a note, there was a little pair of baby socks, and my wife standing next to it, smiling, waiting to get my reaction after telling me we're about to have our first child. And some of you, if you've had this moment, maybe you stood there amazed. I've seen those YouTube videos of just the speechless gasp. Some of you might have broken down into tears. That's what I thought I was gonna do, not what I did. I was a little shocked at what I did. What happened to me has never happened to me since. Something within my soul came uncorked, and I just could not stop laughing. Like, I just lost it. Like, mom telling you to shut up in the pew of church laughter, right? Like, I just cannot stop. And the only question that I can get out is, one, I'm asking her, like, in between my cackling, like, are you sure? To which she's like, yeah, you idiot. Uh, And then secondly, I said, I don't think I'm ready. Which I wouldn't advise saying to your wife in that moment. What was funny, as I look back on that memory, as I was kind of like going back and thinking about that this week, I was right. Like, I I wasn't ready. I wasn't, I didn't even know what to expect as I was about to welcome this child into the world. I was trying to get myself ready, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for the personal cost that it would cost me to bring a child into the world, both financial cost, both like literal physical cost, like my sleep, my goodness, and all of these things, this child enters my world and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm just giving and I'm giving and I'm giving. But there is one area where I didn't give a thing. In fact, I was just given. And it was in my spiritual life. It was fascinating that it was when I had a child that I started being around a child. And when I started being around a child, my view of what a child changed. Like I started viewing myself after seeing my son like, When when the Bible says that I'm a child of God, maybe this is what it's talking about. It wasn't until I became a father that my my perception of God as father began to change. Today's not about fatherhood. It's not about parenthood. But we are going to be talking about children today. The last man challenge of the year. We're going to talk about little snot-nosed brats together. So here we go. why? Why talk about children? I think it's clear we just read a story, but you could read many, many, many more, even more than I thought before this week, of specific times where Jesus is trying to intersect his disciples' life or his followers' life with children. He's healing children. He's spending time with children right here. We, we don't believe there's anything necessarily like wrong or ailing these children. They're coming to him. He consistently is crossing paths with children, with the vulnerable, with the lowly things of the world, and the disciples keep not getting it. And so here's the challenge today. As we get ready to jump in, don't miss this. Don't miss this today. Lock in, take some notes. I'm a pretty simple-minded person, so we're just going to go through verse by verse and talk about what we see. Mark 10, 13. Here we go. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them. First thing we're going to highlight, parents bring their children to Jesus. Now, up until this point, like I said, Jesus has been having a lot of children come to him. Some of them were demon-possessed. Some of them were, were sick. One of the girls specifically, they, they thought she was dead. So Jesus and his disciples, they've had a lot of encounters with children. This, one's, this story specifically, we have no reason to believe that there's anything wrong with these children. These parents have just heard the things about Jesus, and they're doing what needs to be done to get their children into the life of Jesus because they believe that if their children meet Jesus, Jesus will change the trajectory of their life. What a beautiful picture of parenthood. And just a quick side note before we move on, this is what we believe. Like we believe that when your story meets God's story, that when you meet Jesus, you can begin to live the life that you want to live. So before we even start talking about children, let's just talk about you for a sec. Do you know Jesus? If you don't, I'm glad you're here. So parents bring their kids to Jesus. Next thing I want to highlight, that the parents are doing the right thing. They're all about this, but the disciples, not so much. They're actually opposed to what these parents are trying to do. They believe that these parents are bothering Jesus. And I think that this is incredible. Ronnie kind of said this up here. I don't know if you caught it. He said something that very much aligns with what this scripture says. Here is Jesus' closest followers. They are around Jesus. They are around religion. They are around his teaching. They hear what he says all the time, yet they don't have his heart. It is entirely possible for you to be around Jesus and around church and come to Man Challenge and go to your seat, the same seat every Sunday. You can be around Jesus a lot and not still not have his heart. And that's what we're after in Man Challenge this morning. We want to have the heart of Jesus. Mark ten fourteen, When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. First thing we need to highlight, what makes Jesus angry? Simple, not the meat of the message at all, but just something that sticks out to me. We see this in the Gospels in multiple points. The thing that really ticks Jesus off is when people try and put barriers between him and people. When the Gentiles are trying to worship in the temple and the Jews are making that difficult to happen, that's when Jesus flips the tables. Jesus has some pretty harsh words for the Pharisees when they would create all these rules and regulations about what it meant to follow God, and he literally looks at them and calls them a brood of vipers and calls them whitewashed tombs. He says, you're pretty on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Why? Because they're trying to keep people from coming to him. And now his very followers, his closest followers, are trying to do the same thing to these parents and to these children. And Jesus is angry. And what's funny is I don't really remember that part of the story, hearing about this. In Sunday school, Jesus loves the little children, right? Like it sounds very happy, sounds very whimsical. This is an angry moment. Like Jesus here, there's something going on that ain't going on in that song. So he says to his disciples, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. What do you think he means by that? That's what we're gonna dig in today. What do you think he means by that? I don't know about you, but I've spent most of my life trying to grow up, right? And that's kind of what we are culturally taught. I mean, that's what we're taught in the church. Man, it's time to grow up. And then Jesus seems to be saying, maybe something a little different, I don't really know. Like these children. That's what we're gonna dig into today. So would love my note takers. We're gonna be talking about three things, what it means to be childlike that I believe is actually some of the most manly things you can be. Some of the most manly things you can do. First thing we're going to talk about is childlike dependence. Go ahead and write that down. Childlike dependence. So just recently, I graduated into a new club of uh, human being. We bought a minivan. That's right. Yes. Um, And I'm just going to be real with you. I'm officially, I'm 31. I'm now finally secure enough and just who I am to say that this minivan is dope. That's, that's kid for cool. Uh, I wish I got to drive it, honestly. It's pretty sweet, but we were, we were looking for a minivan in the market for a really long time and everything is just crazy expensive right now. And every minivan that we would find is really high in mileage. And so when we finally found this minivan that had under 30,000 miles on it, we were like, boom, so let's go. And the reason we wanted lower miles on the car that we're going to buy, it's pretty obvious, right? Like the less miles, the closer that that vehicle is to its original intended design. It hasn't been exposed to the elements yet. The pieces haven't been changed out. The longer, more miles you have on a car, the further and further and further it gets from its original intended design. Now let's think about us for a second. Go with me back to Psalm 139, 13 through 14. This is what it says. David's writing in his journal. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. There's other places in scripture where we see that God has made us on purpose for a purpose. So let's just think about a baby for a second. I know this is man challenge, but go back with me. Let's look at a baby, a human with no mileage on it yet, no miles on those tires. What do we see? We see the original intended design for humanity, dependency, which for many of us has been grown out of our soul the older and older that we've gotten. A baby can't feed itself, can't change itself, can't walk, can't talk, can't really do anything outside of the provision of its parents, it is 100% dependent. Is it possible that Jesus continues to bring children up, continues to intersect their life with children in the, with the disciples and children, their lives being intercepted in the scriptures? Because he's trying to remind his closest followers, don't miss this. Like, if you want to live a life after the kingdom of God, if you, if you really want what you say you want, then this is what it looks like. Complete and utter dependence on your heavenly Father. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, really famous verse, easy verse to remember, hard verse to live out. This is what it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Who do you trust? Whose understanding do you lean on? Question for you that I want you to write down in your notes. We're going to be talking about this in our groups today. It's a simple question. Profound implications on your life. How dependent are you on God? Scale of one to ten. Let's say ten's really dependent, one not so much. How dependent are you on God right now? Have you learned with more and more miles on your tires how to depend more on your own strength than on your Heavenly Father? It sounds simple, but man, that's a big deal. Next one's childlike wonder to write that down if the kingdom of god belongs to those that are like these children remember jesus is actually pointing to a child in this moment kingdom of god belongs to children like these then I think that the kingdom of God is for people who wonder. And what do I mean by wonder? I think Jim Gaffigan hits wonder on the head when he recounts this story that he has with his four-year-old son. story goes like this. When my son was four, he pointed to a car antenna and said, Look, Daddy, a silver stick. I corrected him. Actually, son, that's an antenna. My son then asked, What's an antenna? After realizing I had no idea how an antenna worked, I explained, It's a silver stick, buddy. You nailed it. <laughs> Kids wonder at everything. The color of the sky, the fog on the windows, polar bears, hot chocolate, autumn leaves, cheetahs, cheetos, and antennas. All of it. Every single day, my kids are amazed by something. And it's because they haven't grown numb to the beauty of God around them, to the mysteries of the world. They will consistently and constantly seek to learn, understand, and share what it is that they're learning. Paul David Tripp, another Christian writer, he writes in his book called Awe, he tells us a story about an experience him and his son had. He takes his teenage son to an art museum in Washington, D.C. Check it out. This is what he said about that experience. With every new gallery, I was enthralled. But each time we walked into a new art space, my son begged me to leave. He was surrounded by glory but saw none of it. He stood in the middle of wonders, but was bored out of his mind. His eyes worked well, but his heart was stone blind. He saw everything, but he saw nothing. I wonder if some of us have lost our wonder. I wonder if Jesus keeps putting children in front of his disciples to remind them how to wonder, to show them, look at these people who are just so amazed at everything that's around them, at the beauty of God's design and creativity and creation. But the older and older that we get, let me speak for myself for a second. The older and older that I get, I find myself acting just like Paul David Tripp's son, where it takes a lot more to amaze me. Jesus says the kingdom of God is for those who are like these children. Psalm 119.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. When's the last time that you sat somewhere in wonder of who God is, of what he's doing, and what he will do? For me, this was just last week. Sat in, sat in a Starbucks, the story's going to make me sound more spiritual than I am. Don't, don't put me on that pedestal. I'm not. I'm sitting in a Starbucks, and I'm listening to some music. I'm trying to tune out the dang Taylor Swift album that they are just cranking in there. I'm like, my goodness. And I just, as I'm praying, I'm, I just feel like God's saying, like, Brock, just take your headphones out. And I'm like, please, no. <laughs> you know? But I do it. This Taylor Swift is like pounding me in the temple as I'm just sitting there and I'm sitting there trying to focus on what it is that God wants to say to me. And as I sit there, I look around and I just start to take notice how many people are in this Starbucks. Like old people and young people, different colored skin, different subcultures of people. There's some skater kids over here. There's some dudes wearing business attire over here. And I just started wondering, God, you made that person. And you didn't just make that person, you know that person. And you don't just know that person, you know everything about that person. And you don't just know everything about that person, you are working in that person's life right now. And I start imagining that I'm having this conversation with the king of the universe, and he's telling me, oh, that's, that's Karen. Brock, if you could just hear what I'm doing in her life right now. Oh, that's Tom. If If only you knew how upstream I am working in his life, Brock, you would be amazed. I'm sad to say it. But that was the first time in a while where I sat in wonder before God, where I couldn't wrap my head around how big and awesome and good he is. When's the last time you sat in wonder before God? Are you more impressed with the works of your hands or the works of God's hands? Last one, childlike imagination. We have a broken definition or understanding of what imagination is. Maybe broken is the wrong word. I just don't know that our view of imagination and the scriptural idea of imagination necessarily line up. We do a lot of imagination in my home where my son imagines that he's Mario and I'm Bowser and I get to get shot by fireballs or my daughter imagines that she's the family dog or she will pretend to make us lattes and put in cucumbers and turkey and chocolate. Sounds delicious, right? But imagination doesn't mean pretend or fake, at least not in the scriptural context. Let me show you Ephesians 3.20, pretty famous verse you've probably heard before the word imagine is actually in it this is what it says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us i'm not even going to pretend to know how to say this i wish i was that smart but here's what that means it means to understand it means to understand and so if wonder is to not fully understand like to not be able to comprehend how god could create both mountain peaks and the atoms that fill up the very world that we live in. You can't wrap your head around it. That's what it means to sit in wonder before God, than to imagine is to understand. It is to understand what God is up to and what he's about and what he wants to do. And perhaps we we can't see a better example of the imagination of a child than in John chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm also going to have it on screen. John chapter 6 verse three, you probably know the story. This is what it says. Then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look, uh, coming to look for him. So he turns to Philip, one of his disciples, and he asks a pretty big question. Check it out. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? There's 5,000 at least, probably closer to ten to 15,000 people there. Verse 6 says he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. So Philip speaks up. He replies, verse 7, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Listen to how practical and grown up and mature Philip is. You're absolutely right. He's done the math already. He knows the answer. Verse 8, Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Listen to the question. But what good is that with this huge crowd? This same story is actually in all four Gospels. I believe this is the only Gospel where the little boy is mentioned. In the other Gospels, you'll see Jesus turn to his disciples, and they say, what are we supposed to do with all these people? And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. Figure it out. So here in John, John's the last gospel written, he's kind of filling in the gaps that the other gospels maybe didn't necessarily put in there, just like minor details. And John throws in this minor detail. So when Jesus tells his disciples, you figure it out, guess what they do? There's a boy who's got a lunch. Now, I can't help but think, I'm reading in between the lines here, but I doubt that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, goes up to this boy and is like, can we please use your lunch? Because you could see where his heart is. Look at the question. What good is that? So I don't know if this boy overhears the conversation. I don't know how this boy is there and and his lunch is chosen to do this miraculous, amazing thing. But it is. So he... Gives it over to Jesus, even though there are others there who don't have the faith or the imagination to believe that Jesus could do anything with it. Here's the questions. Is it possible that this boy understood something that these older, more mature, more realistic, smarter disciples missed? Is it possible that this boy was so willing to give up his lunch... Because his faith led him to understand, or imagine, that Jesus could do it. Because Jesus can do anything. Is it possible that this boy believed that Jesus could use him? Because Jesus can use anyone. It sounds so simple. Yet if we would actually live like that, can you imagine how God would just show off in our lives... Do you have the imagination to know that God not only wants to use your life, but he will use your life if you would just seek his kingdom first, if you would seek to understand, if you would have imagination? God wants to use you, and he will. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:27 through 29, almost done, gentlemen. This is what it says. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. What is this saying? That God loves using the thing that you don't think he should use. Think about it. Let's just go through the meta narrative of Scripture, name off a few. This is God choosing a farmer an insignificant farmer named Gideon to be a warrior that would lead to one of the greatest battles ever won. This is God choosing a shepherd boy, the youngest in his family, to defeat Goliath. This is God choosing Moses, a dude with a speech impediment, to be the leader and spokesperson for an entire nation. You ever think about that? When God comes and meets Moses, how does he meet Moses? In a burning bush. If I'm God, I'll tell you how I'm revealing myself. It's going to be a freaking mountain, right? But God chooses a bush because that's his heart. He consistently over and over and over again will use the lowly things of the world to shame the wise. God doesn't need your strength. God wants your submission. Are you submitting before him? Do you want God to use your life? Some of you, you need to be reminded that when you humble yourself before him, he'll show off some of you need to hear, you've been, you have a way lower view of yourself than you should. God wants to use you, and he will. Just imagine. Seek him. Let's get ready to shut it down. Let's go back and review. just want to read the whole scripture one more time, because there's one thing at the end I don't want you to miss. Mark 10, 13 through 14, starting at the beginning, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. The verse continues, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then... He took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus, but let me just very clearly make a call and a statement to those of you in this room who are following Jesus. Meaning you've put your faith and trust in him. You would call yourself a Christian. He is the king of your life. To be a Christian means you follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means he's your leader. And you quite literally are supposed to follow the leader, meaning do what he did. So Jesus here, he does remind us and challenge us that to inherit the kingdom of God, we need to be like these children. Children who are dependent on our Holy Father. Children who live in wonder of how good God is and what he's doing. Children who have imagination. We can wrap our minds around that God would use us and wants to. But Jesus doesn't just say it. He does something about it. Like very practically, he does something because of his belief. Do you do things because of your belief? This is not a challenge for every single person in the room, as I said. But some of you, this might be the time where I need to challenge you. There are children in this church who need a male figure. There are middle school students in this church who need someone to disciple them there are high school students in this church who need somebody to come alongside them and show them who the real jesus is there are college students in this church who need to be shown how to mature in adulthood and mature in their faith and jesus did something about it jesus's whole ministry wasn't wrapped up around children i'm not saying you need to go and lead a children's ministry some of you might need to do that awesome But if you're listening this morning and you're thinking, man, maybe I do need more dependency on God. Maybe I do need to learn how to wonder before him. Maybe I do need some more imagination. Here's how you can practically do something about that. Sign up at a Christmas service in a few weeks to rock a baby in the nursery. I don't want to do it either. But I'll tell you what. When you put yourself in a place where when you serve somebody and that person cannot say thank you or will not say thank you, you look a lot like Jesus and your heart begins to look more like him. So we're going to talk about that in our groups today. Does what you believe affect what you do? Jesus doesn't just say something. He does something. What are you doing? Let me pray for you guys. And then I don't know what's going to happen next, but let's pray. Lord, I think it's only appropriate to to pray like my kids pray at home. God, thank you for smiles. Thank you for beds. Thank you for sunshine. Thank you for trees. Thank you for fun. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our friends. Thank you for our houses. But mostly, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us and for coming back to life. Thank you that when we meet you, we can truly live. God, some of us, we we need to grow up by looking at children and realizing that the cultural view of masculinity is not the biblical view of masculinity. I pray that we would be men who are dependent on you. I pray that we would be men who sit and wonder at what you have done and what you are doing. I pray that we would be men who have imagination to believe that you would use broken, lowly people like us to accomplish your humongous, amazing, cosmic purposes. You are so good. I pray as we get ready to go into these group times, Lord, that you would help us challenge each other, keep each other accountable, and that you continue to speak to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.